I just want to clarify for our audience. <laughs> Why? Why? I think I think we can just leave that where it is. When Connor says he's not in the closet right now, he's referring to the closet that he that he records in. <laughs> Bryce, you're not actually helping. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 30, recorded on June 5th, 2021. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we continue our interview with Chandler Carruth and Patricia Oss, which we started in episode 29. Chandler finishes telling us about his path to Google, and then we dive into topics including interviewing, leadership, and so much more. If you haven't listened to episode 29 already, I highly recommend you pause this, listen to episode 29 first, and come back. And then I get the the two other job interviews that I've I've ever really had, um, <laughs> and and it was Wednesday I interviewed at Google and Thursday I interviewed at uh, Apple and I failed both interviews. Um. <laughs> Wait, what? Also, what was the second one? The first one was the uh, you didn't get your own job. Oh, oh, the second one was uh, uh, I interviewed for uh, a startup in uh, uh, out was spun out of the university uh, that I did internships with. I interviewed with them, um, uh, but it wasn't much of an interview because I'd actually done an internship with them, and and so like they actually they actually were going to offer to hire me, um, um, but I didn't really want to work in North Carolina for the rest of my life, and so I, I wasn't super motivated to to take that particular offer. Okay, so wait a second. So you you interviewed at Google and Apple, and you were rejected yeah. by both. I wasn't rejected. I just bombed the interviews. Oh, uh, I, I, okay. I, you know what? You, you are like, I don't know. You're like dipped in luck or something. I, I don't know what is up <laughs> with your life. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because both, both Chandler and I got our like first tech job through somebody, through DMing somebody on IRC. <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't have been more lucky. Um, so, so I do my interviews. And, and the interviews are interesting here. So, so at the, in the Google interviews, I got uh, a really good interview um, uh, that I, I didn't do very well on, but I also didn't crater. And it was actually a very good interview question. I, I, I ask it myself now, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into that one too much. But it was, it actually made me think about kind of challenging technical problems and explain concepts in a useful way. Uh, it, it thus thereby demonstrated how little professional software development experience I had. Zero. Um, uh, so, so, but, but it also demonstrated that I could think critically and such. That was probably my strongest performance. Uh, there was another one that was a terrible interview question, uh, that was basically a brain teaser about how floating point works. Um, and I did really well on that one because I happened to have struggled with floating point because I happened to have worked on LLVM. Um, but like, it's a terrible interview question that like, it didn't, it shouldn't have been a significant factor. Um, the other interview question that I remember, um, that I've talked about publicly, as just like one of my least favorite interview questions was like, it was the last interview of the day at Google. Um, and I, you have to understand like this interview process was horrible for me. So I had one outfit that was like interview level professional, uh, because I was a graduate student paying for things on credit cards. Right. And, uh, <laughs> that outfit of course was what I was going to wear at Apple because at Apple, it matters what you look like when you interview at Apple. Um, and so, for my Google interview, I showed up in jeans and my thesis hoodie. Isn't isn't that like what they expect now? Like, what is a thesis hoodie? 
Well, like like the, the hoodie I'd been wearing yeah. hadn't had a chance to launder like, oh. uh, oh. because of the thesis. That's what I thought. Oh. That's what I thought. <laughs> By thesis, I thought you meant you got like a nope. You know, nope. I embedded my thesis. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I misunderstood. No, no, no. <laughs> and so, like, I'm sitting kind of, kind of punch drunk from having defended a thesis on Monday, printed it, submitted it on Tuesday, got on a plane, flown across the country, slept after flying across the country for one night, got up and, like, arrived at Google's campus at 9 a.m., and I'm sitting in a lobby surrounded by people in suits with portfolios, like, looking sharp, like, for an interview. In my jeans and my thesis, like, mm, hoodie, mm. It was, it was something else. So the last interviewer shows up. And he asks, and he like shows up. And he's like, "I want you to implement wget, <laughs> like the tool wget. Just implement it on the whiteboard. Go, go." I looked at it just like, it's like I was like, I've I've never done networking pro- network programming in my life. Like I literally have not written socket open paren once. I didn't like. Just it just never came up. It was not a particular focus of mine in school. I just like. All the code I'd written was all around compilers and video game graphics and not around, like, networking. And he looks at me. It's like, I mean, oh, okay, but, like, fine, fine. Just walk me through how this, like, like, like you can use pseudocode. That's fine. I don't care if you know any network. Like, but, like, walk me through, like, what you would need to implement WGET. Like, you know, send an HTTP request and get a response. And I looked him, like, like, I do not know anything about the, like, HTTP. I don't know the protocol. I have no idea what's needed here. I don't know how, and he, he blinks at me and he's like, you don't know where you're interviewing, right? Yeah, I was, that was, that was <laughs> basically what I was thinking. It's like, this is Google. <laughs> this, and... This... And I was like, yes, but I've worked on, like, compilers and programming languages. It says so on my resume. Like, you shouldn't be surprised by this. I didn't actually, like, claim anything else on my resume. Um, and and so he kind of, like, uh, and so, like, he's like, okay, well, diagram what you know. And I basically, like, said, like, well, you're going to send a request to the server, and the server's going to send a response. And he's like, so let's talk about your favorite programming language, by the way, folks. That's code for the interview's over, and I'm going to fill the <laughs> remaining 45 minutes. <laughs> um, oh, dear. Yeah, my interview didn't go well. Would you have hired you? <sighs> probably Ooh, not. Good question. Um, honestly, probably not. Uh, so I can, I can tell you why I got hired. Um, it was because of my open source work. And yeah, so I, I was the, the I was about to is, say that that I that I'm almost certain that the reason that they hired Chandler and the reason that they went out of their way to set up an interview with him had nothing to do with um, how he did in the interview. Um, like yeah. I, I I I think I may have told this story in the past, and uh, if not, I I apologize in advance to my team member who I'm about to embarrass, but not by name. But I had somebody who approached me at CPPCon. Um, uh, a few years ago and said, hey, I think I want to come work at your team. And uh, I told her, send me your re- your resume. Um, and uh, she did. And I like, this isn't somebody that I'd known previously. We'd, we'd met at the conference that year. I talked a little bit, thought she was impressive. She sent me her resume and I like looked at her resume and her GitHub for about five minutes 
And I was like, yeah, like I, 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 I have all the information that I need now. Like, and like, I, like there will be interviews that will happen, but like, I am deciding here at this spot, five minutes after looking at this person's resume that I am going to hire this person. And we did hire and it was worked out wonderfully. And, yeah. you know, for, for sometimes you just know it's somebody that has, you know, a prolific open source background and it's just like, you want that person. And so, uh, because this, uh, the person who got me to send the resume in in the first place knew about my work in LLPM and he knew how the hiring process at Google worked. And so he made sure that in addition to my interviews, they also were aware of the open source work. Uh, and uh, my understanding is that uh, this was still not especially impressive. And I've looked at my open source work from then, and it was not especially impressive. <laughs> um, and Maybe it was impressive he, he actually, for its time. No, yeah, no, it's no. it's a lot of it's it's about potential though. You know, like I I I think that this is like one of my skill sets is like being able to like like recognize untapped potential or whatnot. Like sometimes it's not about what the person's done, but it's about what potential you see in what they've done. Like maybe yeah. maybe somebody hasn't done a lot, but if they're if they're like very early stage career and at this point in Chandler's life, he would have been very early stage. And so you you know, and honestly my guess is because this was somebody that you knew Chandler from IRC, right? That it was not somebody that was like new from IRC. Is it Come somebody on, that I, you'd interacted with previously? Only on IRC. I right. never met them face to face. But it was probably less about the open source contributions that you made. And was probably more about how you'd interacted with that person. So the sort of questions you'd asked on that IRC channel, okay, okay, okay. the sort of discussions. I, I, then I have a question because you have like, and Connor, you, you can, you can bow out on this one, but, but both Bryce and Chandler have met me in real life. You've interacted with me on various media uh, and, you know, and I've maybe watched me speak. Um, so would that be, I, I don't know if you have looked at my GitHub, but, but would that be sufficient for you to say, I think maybe we should hire her? I yeah, mean, this this doesn't compute in a bunch of ways because I uh, you're not you're not like super new in your career and just starting out, no. right? And so there are a whole bunch of other questions that I would want ah, to know about. Oh, and that brings us to the list. And that does that does segue bring us, us over. So I will I will I will catch you up on the list. Uh, so so okay. the list is is basically uh, four stages of your career. Uh, and and it's a lot around hand, uh, handling conflict. Uh, so so um, the junior, I, I'm, I, I'm, I have named them, so you, you might not agree with the naming of them, but the junior role is a lot about uh, 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 conflicts within the team, so with other other team members, but but very much at a peer level uh, and, and and failures on, uh, in, uh, within the team with the project, but something that is very directly to the person. Now I, I'm interpreting, so you can you can tell me if I'm a, yeah. Um, the second one I I, I call senior, uh, and that's that's more about like building consensus uh, as well as as looking further than the team, looking towards the customer and towards other teams, and then also again dealing with conflict uh, here. And then the the one that I had a hard time 
uh, so like middle something uh, role, and that's that's now in vision and 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 aligning teams and having more of a, a broad multi-team kind of thing, uh, but but still pretty hands-on, you know. It seems to me, um, and then you know you're in the more of the leadership kind of role, tech leadership kind of role, uh, which is like the fourth one. And now you're in influencing higher, uh, like, ex- like the, like the XX and, and, and also looking at, at strategy, but not only within the com- company itself, but also in the industry. And again, dealing with, with, but, but I, I don't, there are a little bit of a conflict there, but there, it seems not so much dealing with conflict and more like how to, to move things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would that, would that roughly describe these? I think the only thing I want to tweak about that is the the leveling here. Um, really, the third group is... So I think of this as, right, like, uh, junior or, like, entry level, right, like like engineering, right? And then the second one is, as you know, senior or, or kind of, like, team lead, right? Like, like you know, uh, project lead, that kind of thing. The third one, I think, is already really into leadership, and that's that's why that's why it shifts a lot between the second and the third level here. Um, and the fourth one is is um, not about kind of entering a leadership role, but scaling your leadership, right? Um, and so so kind of the the scaled up aspects of leadership when you want to kind of operate at an even broader uh, even broader kind of scope and scale. So so one of the things that that a lot of people think about or wonder is how you transition from one one stage to the next um and 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 so where do you consider yourself to be in these like four stages today (laughs) oh gosh i don't know is it also worth mentioning i'm not sure we can ignore this i can cut it out even uh but like at most companies too there is like two different tracks that i think there's like the management track and the IC track. IC standing for individual contributor. Um, like, does that is that worth mentioning I, I, here? I think I think it is, but I think there's also a common misperception here, which is that there's almost always a third track. There's almost at at, at some companies the 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 management and leadership are combined, but um, uh, that's not always the case. So I think that you should think separately about solely an individual contributor, leadership in management. I mean, I, I we can we can imagine a bunch of stuff. I can't I can't speak to any other companies. I've only like like y- you've heard the story now of how I got my job at Google. That was the first real job I got, and so I can't really speak to anything outside of Google. But on, at Google, at least there there are two tracks, right? You're you're either on kind of the 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 technical track or the management track, and uh, they both go up, and you can you can become a leader on either track. Um, and, and, and so they both have the kind of growth potential here, but they, they do change your focus. And there's plenty of overlap between them, too. They're not, they're not like rigidly separated tracks. They're really about, you know, what your primary focus is as like in, in your job and in your career. OK, so you are on a technical track, I assume. So I happen to be on the technical track um, uh, at Google, and I, I don't know. I mean, I I. I I struggle to be kind of. I don't want to. I don't want to be. Yeah, Connor, you might have to cut this out. I don't know how to say where I am. <laughs> like on one hand, I think I don't have a clue about any of this stuff. 
On the other hand, uh, at this point at Google, I'm I'm pretty pretty solidly in in you know operating in the fourth bucket here. Yeah. Uh, I've been I've been I've been very I was very lucky to get into Google. Um, but one of the one of the consequences is that kind of uh, coming in at Google as like the the bottom end and just barely getting past the interviews kind of uh, shook my world a bit, and I got kind of weirdly ambitious all of a sudden. Oh. Uh, like and ambitious, so I've, like career-wise, or ambitious, like yes. Oh, okay. But, but you, but you say you're on the technical track at Google, Chandler. But yeah. you do have direct reports, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So so I'm and, I'm on the technical track at Google, but I actually manage a large organization at this point. Yeah. So like I have I have over sixty people in my organization, uh, and I'm I'm responsible for not just managing people, but managing managers. Yeah. See, and it, it, it's a bit. I think it really depends from my like company to company. Like, I, I'm, I'm in a, you know, a leadership role. I don't. I mean, I spend very little of my time these days at Nvidia writing code. Um, but I don't have direct reports, and that's just sort of the. Um, uh, I had I had opportunities to go into a a, a track where I would have um, direct reports, but it, I did not think that that would allow me to rise as high. Um, and in at Nvidia, there's, you know. That there's a role where you can be a leader of people without, you know, being, without actually managing any people. So I think it really depends from company so, to company. So what, what, what is that role called? Like, is that like a principal engineer or what is this? So, so at NVIDIA, usually that term is associated with like architect. Um, okay. But also NVIDIA is not a company that has a very rigid hierarchy. Um, so titles aren't really that significant at NVIDIA, it's you really, you get to shape your own role. Um, so it was really just that, you know, at, at, at some point I decided that the way for me to get more things done was to uh, spend less of my time as an individual contributor, more of my time sort of as a leader of people. But uh, for, for, for what it's worth, right, while I have reports that's not universal, it's not even all that common for people on the technical ladder. Um, and, and I'm probably going to be having fewer reports over time, not more. Uh, but this is kind of like, uh, uh, you know, it, it's come and gone. Uh, the, the group I was in had a real need for someone to kind of step up and do kind of higher level organizational management. And, and so I you know, stepped into the role because there was a, a need for that. Um, but in, in some ways, my, my goal has also been to largely kind of, you know, replace myself in that role over time. Uh, I'm hopeful to go back. Um, even more towards, I'm, I'm about as far towards the kind of management and organizational leadership as I ever want to get. I'm hoping the pendulum swings back a little bit more towards technical uh, things in the future. Yeah, just it's, I think it's worth mentioning because for those that aren't that are listening to this that aren't at what I would call a technology first company like Nvidia or Google or you know there's a lot of large names but there's also a lot of smaller names that are the technology first. I first worked at a, a financial company that was not technology first. And one of the big draws to wanting to switch to a technology first company is the fact that they have this delineation between tracks. And at a lot of non-technology first companies, there's a single track where for the first few levels, you're technical, but if you want to progress past that level, you have to switch to management. And I, at least at this point in my career, don't really want to be managing people. I want to be solving hard technical problems. And at technology first companies on the IC track, it uh, typically you don't you don't have to have reports if you want to. You can go from your senior engineer to principal engineer and have like a big impact by solving the harder technical problems by mentoring you know younger senior engineers and whatnot. Um, and that's a path that exists at basically every single tech first company. 
Um, which like for me, someone that wants to like follow that path, at least at this point in my career is like awesome where there's a lot of companies that, um, you hit this sort of like level and then they're like, well, if you want to progress, you got to start managing people. And, uh, there's a lot of, I don't want to speak for everyone, but like, at least for, for myself, I definitely know maybe, maybe at some point I might want to manage folks, but definitely right now I just, I love typing code too much um. when, I, when i was at cisco they had they had this idea of a principal engineer and it was actually like something that because we're like we have like a satellite office thing thing cisco buys company so we had a company cisco bought it um so but but so i basically found like all of the documentation for this like principal engineer stuff myself and uh, part of that was like um it said uh, basically to become a principal engineer you kind of had to have already been doing the work. That was like a thing. Uh, and the funny thing is that I, I was at that time doing the work. <laughs> but, but, but then I was told when I was like, I brought it up that I want to kind of go in that direction. And they told me, no, this is an honorary title. This is like, we give people that they've been here for like 15 years and you know, they get this title because their hair turned gray or something. <laughs> <laughs> that's unfortunate yeah I, so, yeah I think anytime you see a company that has um, uh, a, a strong association between seniority and rank that's that's usually a little bit of a red flag um, I mean it's obviously I think it's you know it's usually going to be present to some degree at some company but um, that should not be titles shouldn't be honorary right titles titles shouldn't be a something that you reserve for the folks that have been there for 15 years um so but but but, uh, the reason why i thought about it was because one of the one of the requirements for getting this was that you couldn't have any direct reports and so they gave the Mm -hmm. title to to uh to someone while i was there and they that that person had to to uh to lose their direct reports to be able to get the title interesting which is it's weird to me. That's weird. Yeah, especially if it's honorary. Yes. <laughs> when I so when I I I, I earlier this year I, I switched to sort of a new role at Nvidia and um, I had the I, I there was an opportunity for me to like consider switching over to the management track, but the the reason that I didn't was that um, it, it sort of unintuitively you know Connor was talking about how at some companies you have to manage to to rise up the ranks, whereas I looked at if I was going to become a manager at NVIDIA, you know, what level of manager would I be? And I realized for me to get to the next tier of manager and the tier beyond that, I would have to be managing more people than I thought I would be comfortable with managing in the next five years of my career. Um, Whereas on the technical track, I could be in a role where I was a leader for very, for, for the size of people that I was comfortable being a leader for, or even more. Um, and there was plenty of room for me to grow, that, that there were at least two levels, you know, above where I was that I could reach for in the next five years without going outside of my comfort zone. And so that's why I decided to stay in the technical track. Okay, so, so you, you're both speaking, like both you and Chandler at least, are talking about this idea of leadership, but, but separated from management. So, so you're talking about technological leadership in some way, and it seems to have like that... that Expression seems to have content for you. So, what does that mean? I mean, for me, it's 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 about you know influencing uh, and like setting direction, and this is and this is why you can kind of see this uh, showing up in in the kind of questions that I was probing here, right? Like, it's about establishing a direction and a strategy, at, at, and and the scope at which you do that, 
right? The scope of the problems that are solved by it, the scope of influence you have to deploy to it to achieve. What does that. that mean, though? That sounds like very vague. Like, give me an example. Uh, sure. So you know, uh, uh, an example of this would be your your. I'll take one from from my own experience here, right? Uh, if we're if we're if we're at Google and we're we're actually using you know uh, GCC, and at the time the the compiler is not really meeting Google's needs, right? Um, actually, figuring realizing that the 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 needs that we have are not for just just a better compiler, but for for example for tools built on top of the compiler in order to help our code base scale and our developers kind of deal with uh, the challenges of C++. It became very clear that we needed a different platform. And so one of the things I had to do was to go around and convince everyone at the company that like, no, we're going to, we're going to directionally pivot from building on top of GCC to building on top of Clang and LLVM. Not because they're better. Uh, at the time they weren't even, they, they weren't better. They were actually worse as a compiler. Uh, but because they're going to give us the leverage we need, we're going to be able to build the tools we need to build on top of them. And so as a direction, we have to kind of pivot the, the entire company's direction uh, so that we can build those tools. So how do you do that? Uh, it, largely, it's about presenting uh, a, a good argument with good evidence to support it to the right people at the right time. And so you, you have to be able to get into that room, I guess, to those people. That is that is one thing. Uh, you do have to have access to the people who are who, who, who you need to kind of convince. However, at least at Google, that part is, is, is actually probably the easiest part. Um, if, 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 you, if you put in enough effort, you can almost certainly talk to anyone at Google that you need to in order to try and convince them of something. Um, it, it's very unlikely that you, you can't find a person that you talk to. Um, even if they're kind of, you know, some, some layers that you have to work through. Right. You can at least find the person at the first layer. And if you can convince them, they're going to make sure you can talk to the person at the next layer of the company. Uh, and it's an incremental process, right? This took us, uh, uh, this took probably, I would say, six to seven years to really establish this uh, directional shift at Google um, fully, right? And there were just a lot of milestones along the way. And there was a lot of, you know, kind of pushing this directional strategy further and further and further at each set, stage of this. And, and the kind of the, the surprising thing is that even this, the thing I've outlined, right, changing the, the compiler from one, one technology stack to a different technology stack because of a different set of use cases that we have, um, that's actually, that's actually itself just an incremental step. That, that, right, like everything kind of decomposes into these kind of incremental components. And so that's actually an incremental step of, you know, changing the direction of the strategy for how we write C++ code at Google, right? And, and, uh, another component of that was uh, Google kind of uh, becoming much more heavily involved in the standardization process um, and right and trying and trying to push on the industry and the standardization process in order to shift C++ and kind of bend C++ towards uh, being a better a better tool for our developers. Um, so I, I think for me, um, I, I think a lot of people tend to think of, like when we talk about the distinction between leadership and management, people think that means that, oh, the, the leadership means having the vision and, and like management is dealing with the people. And I don't, I don't think that's actually the case. Um, I think leadership is about recognizing sort of where you want, where, where things need to go and then inspiring people to believe in that vision. 
Um, so I think it's fundamentally about people. It's about, there's a big difference between ordering somebody to do something, saying, do this because I told you to, and inspiring them to do it because you've, you've convinced them that this is an exciting thing or that this is the right direction to go in or that this is something that they should believe in. And I think that's really what leadership is about. You have to understand, um, the problem that you need to be solving, you know, the, the, um, the, the business that you're in, what your users need. And then you need to be able to identify what is the, you know, the solution to that problem. Um, and then you need to get your people to believe in the problem, to believe in your users, to believe in the business, and to believe that the solution is the right way forward. Um, and I think that my experience may be a bit colored by working so much on um, uh, community-driven projects and standards committees and volunteer organizations. Because when you're in a volunteer organization, you can't just tell people what to do. You you have to work with, you know, when people volunteer, they're going to volunteer to do what they want, and you can't just give them orders. And so perhaps my experience is a bit colored by that, um, of, of, you know, of that, that the only way that I can get people to do things in a lot of contexts is if I can inspire them to do it because I can't just tell them to do it. I want to, I want to let everyone in on a secret. Uh, that's always true. Um, so, so a lot of people think that like open source or standards committees or other things are different here. I don't think they are. I think, I think this is actually truly common. Um, right. So I, I, you know, at Google, we're, 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 we're a big company these days, right? We're a big company. So there are plenty of teams and managers who, who I've seen basically like receive direction, like go build this thing over here. If the people on that team don't believe that this is a good idea, it fails every single time with like, like there's no, I have zero success examples when a group of people, a team didn't believe in what they were building, but they built a thing that was successful. Like okay, I have so, literally zero so examples. I, I have an example, but I have an example for like really sad reasons. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so because one of the things that I notice when you are talking about this is that you are never really talking about uh, getting people to listen to you. Uh, whereas, so, so my entire career has basically been every room I walk into, I have to prove that I am competent to be in that room. So that is like my entire career is, is working from like negative 500 the moment I walk through the door. And, and so, so, so I, so like the shift that I, I managed to do inside of Cisco, we build these telepresence systems for, for our conferencing rooms. I did a massive amount of research. I did uh, like probably like 20 hours of presentations. I built prototypes. I built an actual like like a like a like a full product where with with cameras and and microphone arrays and, and a touch screen and we had web stuff on it and it was like I I I had to this, I had to really uh, because nobody would listen to me because I was a girl. <laughs> so so the, the lengths that I had to go to just to get people to listen 
And when I went into the room and I said, the way that we're doing things now, it won't work. And getting someone to actually listen to that, it was so hard because no, and, and, and in the end, when they bought my idea, <laughs> they, they called a meeting with 20 male engineers and they didn't ask me to come. <laughs> and then, I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I, it's, you know, I think people like Chandler and I, um, I think we, we tend to be loud people who, who, um, you know, we have strong opinions and we don't, we're, we're, we don't have a problem sharing them. And I think because we're, you know, white guys in tech, that's very accept, accepted, right? Um, that, you know, like if, if I, I spend most of my time going into meetings and pitching people on crazy ideas that nobody believes in yet and trying to convince them to believe in that. And it's easier for me to do that because I know that it's acceptable for me to do that and that like I feel confident doing that. But you, Patricia, as a woman in tech, um, one, uh, you're not going to feel as comfortable doing that because you know that, you know, that there's a huge bias against you. Um, and two, it's so much harder for people to listen. I would be the one presenting and people would shush me in the meeting. Mm. <laughs> I had a guy who was like an executive saying in the meeting, who do you think you are? And I was like, I, I'm, I'm just here answering a question that you asked me. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think there's also like, it, it's, it's weird, right? Because, um, one of the, I mean, one of the things that's kind of I've been fairly lucky with is uh, that the the you know certainly I, I get a get a foot in the door right by being by looking like everyone's expected image of of random geek helps, um, but I think it's important for people to realize that um, that that helps and it makes a big difference, but I actually think. The goal and like the challenge is is it's structurally the same. It's a difference. It's a it's a difference mm -hmm. in magnitude, a big difference in magnitude. But you, you still have to convince people to listen to you. Well, the thing uh, is, that, like the thing is, in the end, the, the the way the way I won was by proving my point. I didn't win by convincing anyone. Like I I, I convinced them by by proving the math. I I didn't convince them because they believed in me. They didn't believe in me at all. What I managed to do was to prove by implementing, yeah. by, because what I was saying was not, and no matter how much research and no matter how much I would present, nobody would believe me. So the only, and, and this is the reason why I won. And this is also one of the reasons why I think women have to be engineers, uh, because I won because I could make it. <laughs> I would have never won if what I came in there was, was some kind of like crazy uh, idea. I, I I came in with a product. I could demonstrate it, and and by but what I'm trying to say is, that's that's how everyone ends up winning. Uh, at least at, at, in in the meetings at Google, like I I have, I certainly have never been able to just convince people. Yeah, um, I, I've had an easier time of it. Don't get me wrong, but like you 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 always have to, uh, I think come in with the product usually uh, usually think... for me the tide sort of the tide tends to turn like when it's far too late like 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 i like i i typically try to convince people of things you know early on um and they only will get on board once it's become inevitable that that's what we're doing like and it's already sort of already happened 
but but I but I do think that um, like yeah, I, I think what what Chandler what you're saying is right is like yeah that like often oftentimes you're not going to convince people. You just have to go and find a way to show them. Um, I had one particular project recently where I sort of realized there's no way that I'm going to convince people if I don't just go show them on that. Although I turned out to be wrong, I was able to convince them otherwise. Um, but but it's harder for for. I still think that the that the bar is oh, yeah. different for for. Yeah. Um, if you walk into yeah. a room oh, yeah. and people don't expect you to be competent, then then they will treat you differently. They will speak to you differently. Oh, yeah. But even Absolutely. worse, they will not listen to what you're saying. I, I've been in meetings where I will speak, and then then the next person will speak, and nobody will ever mention that I said anything. And then you know, four minutes later, a guy will say exactly what I had said four minutes earlier. And then everybody will be like, oh, yeah, very good point. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, but it's, it's I, I, yeah, I, I had, I had a manager go to me and said, Patricia, you need to be more like, because I said that I would, people were stealing my work and, uh, you know, and he was like, ah, oh, you have to be more assertive and you have to like, like, like say, oh, I made that and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, and, and so I was like, okay, fine, because, you know, that's how all of this process works. It turns it against you. So it's you that's wrong. It's not the system that's wrong. It's you that's wrong. Uh, so I was like, okay, fine. So the next time somebody presented my work as their work, I said, yeah, it's great that you could use the thing that I made to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and my boss was furious. Yeah, it was yelling at me. And I was like, I'm sorry, but this was what you told me to do. It's like, no, no, no. So, I'm sorry, I can't win here. It's like there's no, there, this is not a game that is winnable. <laughs> I mean, I think the only winning move is to, you know, go to a go to a company or an organization where this does not happen. That's 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 the winning move. One thing I have uh, I have found tends to help here, um, at least in my experience, is if there's something where I've said it. Well, I feel like I feel like I'm answering the same question multiple times or like I'm I'm explaining something and like people just people are just not hearing the words, they're just hearing whatever they want in it. That is often when I realize, okay, it is now time for me to write this down in some document or put it in slides or something. Um and it sort of sort of to have some sort of paper trail where the next time that it comes up, I can just in, instead of instead of giving the explanation again, I can just point at, I'm not going to get into that right now. Look here. We've already done that. And here's the paper trail. And like, here's the answer to your question. Yeah. I and... had to do that all the time. There's no way for me to come into And that was also when my boss was like, yeah, why do you always bring a PowerPoint presentation to every meeting? <laughs> and I was like, not only do I bring a PowerPoint presentation to the meeting, I will send it in the invite. You, nobody can come and tell me that they did not see it or yeah. didn't get it and that it's not documented and timestamped. <laughs> I've started in every meeting that I run, I take detailed minutes mm-hmm. and I send them out. And I, I almost never read the minutes like immediately afterwards. A couple of the people who are on the meeting invites do read them and give feedback. So they are useful in that regard. But the primary reason that I do this is that Three or four or five times a year, I get asked for a paper trail on something. And I now have this magical power where I can be like, that happened on this date, on this date, on this date. And we said, you said that, that, and that, and that. And it's just like, 
end of discussion. I, I, I had a wonderful, like he had uh, two, two mentors or bosses, I guess, uh, at some point in my career. And they had a very good uh, mo- like a motto. They said that the people who write the minutes decide what was said. Yeah. So, so they said whenever you are in like a meeting, especially if it's antagonistic in some way, you make sure you are the ones writing the minutes. <laughs> well, and this is, if you look at the history of the COBOL programming language, which was the first language developed by a committee, that's one of the, and, and it's, it's a, COBOL is a very interesting language because it was developed in the 60s and most of the primary people behind its development were women. Well, how did that come to be? Well, two reasons. One, at that time, being an engineer or a programmer was not, you know, the cool thing. It was, it was, it was all about being a businessman, the business logic. So most of the technical people involved were women. But two, who took the, mi- the minutes in those meetings? Who was the one that was running the meetings where they were developing COBOL? It was always the women. The, the heads of all of the subgroups of the COBOL committee like I think like 60 or 70 percent of them were women and like there is an incredible power in being the person that is running the meeting or that takes the minutes like you get to literally write history so I'm just curious should we try and get back to Mr. Cruz we'll pause here and resume part three next week thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed and have a great day